Boy, you guys are so, this is great. I'm telling you, Canaan Baptist is high tech. I mean, they put it on the, the, the board back there. Isn't that pretty cool? Uh, most churches, you know what they do? The guy in the sound booth is doing jumping jacks. And you're thinking, what in the world is that guy doing? That's what you're thinking. And sometimes they have a big sign. It says, turn your mic on. In big red letters. And in the bottom, it says, stupid. In very small letters, okay? And uh, so the congregation can see it, but the guy up front can't. Okay, so uh, we got that thing on. Man, I'm impressed. Okay, that's great. Now let me uh, uh, say a word here about Canaan Baptist. It's been a great delight to be here. And tomorrow morning we head home. My wife actually going to fly home so she can be there for Mother's Day with my daughters. They're excited about that. And I'm going to take the rig and drive it home. So, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, it's been a delight to be here. And I will say this, folks, I've had the privilege now being here on several times, but every time I come, I can tell God's on the move. Hey, could we put it this way? The tide is rising. And so by the grace of God, I hope next time I'll come, I'll see the tide on another level. But God's working. I can tell that. I realize there's bumps. I realize there's obstacles. I get that. I realize there's opposition. But you can tell overall God's doing something. And it's certainly encouragement to be here. I appreciate so much your pastor and his wife. We've um, not known each other now for a couple of decades. And I remember when they walked through the door at Falls Baptist Church. I had no idea that our friendship would be so deep over the years and it's been a blessing to watch God in their lives do just miraculous things. And that's what it's all about. I'm telling you, friends, uh, the ministry is all about people. I don't know if you ever heard about the missionary. Said, somebody said, how's it going in the mission field? He said, everything's great except for one thing. It would really be good if it wasn't for the natives. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's like the pastor. He asked the pastor, how's it going? He says, well, uh, it's going great except for the people in the church. Okay, well, that is ministry. I'm just teasing with you. And I will tell you, it's great when God uh, gets a hold of people. And that's great to see some of you. I can tell some of you, I coming back, I can tell you're growing. You say, how? I don't know. I can just tell you're growing. And uh, it's exciting. And I want to tell you, keep on the journey. It's exciting to see what God's doing. So uh, tonight, we're going to kind of finish up the meeting. We've kind of, uh, I don't come in necessarily with a, this message, this message. It's, I have a basic idea, but the Lord kind of leads, as, as we saw, how to raise a rebel. I, I put it into two messages. That's, I'm going to, don't worry. I know some of you said, man, those are long messages. They're going into the three messages. Okay, so I'm going to do a three-part series. But what will happen is they'll all expand themselves and I'll have to turn them into four messages. Okay, that's the way it goes. But, um, uh, but anyway, we got a message here tonight because last night we preached on Hebrews 11, at least Hebrews 11, 1. And I pointed out it expresses what does faith do. And then I uh, mentioned that we didn't preach this, but I mentioned that the whole book, uh, the whole chapter of chapter 11 is illustrations of what faith does. Just one right after the other. And uh, you, this is going to shock you, but I wanna, I'm preaching tonight out of Hebrews 12, but this is going to shock you. But you know the significance of Hebrews 12, and here it is. It follows Hebrews 11. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Unbelievable. You'll never be the same. But you know, Hebrews 12 does not deal with what you would think it would. Here we are, just man, I mean, we are on the mountain peaks of faith. Somebody's called that the hall of faith. Dealing with men and women in the Old Testament, they weren't perfect people. Some of them are a little surprising. They're in the hall of faith, but they're in there because they took steps of faith and God, God blessed it. God always honors faith, no matter where he finds it. It's a remarkable thing. And you see that in Hebrews 11. And then you come into Hebrews number, chapter number 12, and he deals with something that is a little bit, I don't know how to explain it, not anticipated. And it's the, the title of the message tonight is, God's woodshed. God's woodshed. How many of you remember the days 
when uh, they use the terminology, I'm going to take you to the woodshed. How many remember that? Okay. How many were taken to the woodshed? Okay. Either figuratively or literally. I remember back when I was a little kid, I remember a lot of things about little kid, but I don't remember the woodshed very much, but I do know it happened. They say unpleasant things are blotted from your memory. That must be true. I, I do remember a few times I know, I know I was in the woodshed. I just can't remember it because I remember the event that led up to it. I remember one time I was four years old, probably uh, four, could have been three. I was sitting on a booster chair. Do you remember those stupid booster chairs you have to sit on? And I was sitting on that booster chair and my mom put a plate of food in front of me and here's what she said. Clean your plate and you can have dessert. Now, when I looked at that plate, I was excited about everything on that plate except for one thing. I'm telling you, I'm going to be honest with you, a pile of peas. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you served me peas, I'd eat them. But I'm going to just tell you right now, that's not my favorite food. Now, if you want to put them in a chicken pot pie, that'll work, okay? That'll get you somewhere. But peas all alone, even with butter on them, that's just not going to work for me. I mean, I'll eat them, but I'm telling you, friends, it's a little bit of purgatory, okay? You know what I'm talking about. And so uh, my mom put that plate in front of my uh, food. Now, in my three- or four-year-old mind, I said, I'm going to eat that plate, but I, I can't do those peas. And I thought, how can I, how can I, I want dessert, but I don't want those peas. In my depraved three- or four-year-old brain, I came up with a plan. The plan was to kind of tilt up the, tilt up the, the little uh, booster chair and stick peas underneath it when mom wasn't looking. Now, I put a few of them in my mouth. I'm not dumb. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to buy to look like I'm doing this thing. But I kept leaning up, sneaking them underneath. And I'm telling you, I'll never forget when my mom looked at me beaming and she said, Jimmy, you cleaned your plate. I beamed brightly. She pulls the plate out. She pulls dessert in front of me and I eat the dessert. I thought, man, I pulled one on mom. Well, you know how it is at three or four years old. You're just not thinking far enough in advance about the deal. You know what I'm talking about? So I remember being out in the living room playing, and I can just remember the scenario like it happened yesterday. And my name was spoken. Do you remember when your name was spoken, you knew the next thing that would happen would be violent death? Do you remember that? <laughs> And I remember looking up at my mother. She had a rag in one hand. She had a booster chair in the other hand. And she was looking down at squashed peas. You know, it never occurred to me to get rid of the evidence. You know what I'm talking about? And then everything goes blank. But I'm pretty sure I know what happened. You know what I'm talking about? I went to the woodshed. Do you know, my friend, why my mother did that? And I never doubted my mother's love. You know why she did that? Because she loved me. She didn't want me to be deceitful. She didn't want me to go down a life where I thought I could get away with something like that. I could lie, literally, and get away with it. And I'm grateful for that. Well, tonight I want to preach on God's woodshed. Now, the word chastening, we're going to deal with the word chastening in just a moment, but I want to tell you a little bit about that word. The word chastening literally has the word in it that is also the Greek word for the word child. So the idea of chastening, although it has negative overtones, is the idea of child training. Now, not all of child training is is negative. In fact, I'll be honest with you, as I've been a parent now for 20-some years, most of child training is positive. In fact, the negative should be, in, in, the, in proportion, a smaller percentage of child training. It's an important percentage, but it's, it's probably in the minority, and, and depending on the kid, okay, because kids are different on that kind of thing. But, uh, but the child training can be very positive. I, I think about different things my dad taught me. I'm sure you can too. 
I remember every time I mow the lawn, I think of my dad. You know why? Because he taught me to never pull a, a lawnmower down a hill. He said, you might run over your toes. And he taught me, you always go down. You know, you go down when you're up uh, uh, and you stand on the top and pull the mower down. And hey, I remember when every time I mow the lawn, there's a certain section of my lawn. Uh, you know what I think about? I think of my dad. Oh, yeah, my dad taught me about that. When I navigate an airport, I think about the fact my dad kind of taught me how to navigate an airport. Just things like that. I'm sure you have your warm and fuzzies too about child training. So we recognize that child training is obviously not all negative. It's obviously all positive in the sense that it has positive outcome. But even some of the child training is positive. So let's take a moment here and I want you to first of all see a principle. And then I want you to see three possible reactions to God's chastening. When you go to God's woodshed and God begins to train you, there are only three responses. Two are wrong and one is right. So let's look at those because as a Christian, that, let me just say this, our response to child training or chastisement is very important in the walk of faith because there are two, how do I say this, responses of unbelief and there is one response of faith or belief. And it's very important if you continue to grow in your Christian life that you respond to God's chastening moments. Now, first of all, we begin with some principles, and our Lord Jesus Christ is a part of helping us understand that. So let's start in verse number one. We're going to walk through this passage quickly here. Look what it says. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and I believe that's referring partially to chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with, here's the key word, patience, the race that is set before us. Now notice it says to lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easy beset us. Now in order to run this race with patience, we're going to talk about patience in a moment because it really ties into the rest of the passage. That particular word patience is found three times in a verbal form. And it's not the word. You won't see the word patience, but it's in verbal form here in just a moment. But the Bible says uh, here's what you need to do in this race of life. You need to get rid of every hindrance and every sin that does so easily beset us. Now, I obviously can't preach a whole message on that. You could, getting rid of hindrances. The idea of hind uh, uh, weights is hindrances, things that hinder your Christian life. Now, all week long, from time to time, we've mentioned things that hinder your Christian life. I'm telling you, some in this room, you understand that because maybe there was a time when you watched things that hindered your Christian life or you read things that hindered your Christian life or you listened to things that hindered your Christian life or you went to places that hindered your Christian life or you had friends who hindered your Christian life. Hey, there's a lot of things that can hinder your Christian life. And God says, if you're going to run this race effectively, you got to get rid of those weights, those hindrances. You got to deal with those things. And uh, he said, uh, you need to get rid of those. Then he says the sin. Sometimes hindrances aren't as easily seen. But the sin that, so e that uh, besets us is the idea of the sin that circles us about. The sin that has got us captured. Besetting sin obviously is a stronghold. It's the idea of something you can't kick. It's something that keeps coming back. And God's saying, you've got to deal with it. You say, well, preacher, I've tried to get rid of some certain issues in my life. I've tried to get victory over anger. I've tried. I know you talked about uh, anger and lust. I've tried to get victory over these things. I can't do it. I can't get rid of some of these weights. They just seem so impossible. Well, in a moment, well, let's just look at it right now. Look at verse number two. Here's the key. Looking unto Jesus, here it is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, that's a stunning statement. Now, I don't know about you, friends. 
It's an encouragement to me to know that if I look to Jesus, he can, he can do something in my heart. This is one of those, how do I say it, give take. Sometimes people say, is faith a gift of God? Or do we as Christians, do we as Christians make decisions of faith? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is faith. There's a supernatural dynamic. I don't know about you, but there's times I've been in deep trouble and there's times spiritually I'm trying to get out of a mess and I just am in darkness and I'm just crying out to God and all of a sudden your heart is filled with faith. You ever had that happen? Man, I've, it's just like the lights turn on. And you realize that was supernatural because I didn't have that faith. All I did was take a step toward God of God, you could do this. I'm trusting you to do this. And all of a sudden, boom, your confidence in God is through the roof. I don't understand all that. There's a divine side to faith and there's a human side to faith. I don't believe you'll see the divine side without the human side. We've got to believe God, take that step. It may be a feeble step, but a step toward believing God. He authors faith. Isn't that amazing? He authors faith. But he also finishes it. The word finished there is the same word Jesus used on the cross, or at least it comes from the same root word. It is finished. The idea, it's completed. It's perfected. So I got good news for you. When you're looking to Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I need you. Uh, it's Lord, Lord, I believe. Help me out now. Help thou my unbelief. That's what it is, looking to Jesus. So the key is, as we talked about last night, it's believing God, getting out of the boat. It's trusting in God enough to obey Him and dependence on His strength, not yours. And you say, preacher, how do I get that? By looking to Jesus. Remember that faith is not the issue. I remember years ago, and again, I think uh, Focus on the Family does a lot of good things, but I was talking to somebody and uh, they're a little more fine-tuned and they're having a good time with me and they said, you know the whole problem with Focus on the Family? I said, no, what? He said, they focus on the family. <laughs> Now, what they meant was, nothing wrong with focus on, on the family, what they meant was that there's a bigger focus than that. And they were just having fun with me. And I thought, well, they, you know, there's truth in that. And again, I'm not trying to throw that ministry under the bus. Uh, you say, why don't you say that? Yeah, here's the point. The issue is not focusing on faith. See, if you walk out of the audience and say, man, I need faith. Okay, the question is, you can have great faith in Buddha and it's not going to do you any good. See, I want you to understand, faith is not as big a deal as the object of faith. See, the object's the important part. So if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, which isn't very much, in Jesus, is that going to do you any good? A whole lot of good. Why? Because the object's right. You see, friends, if you have great faith in Buddha, it won't do you any good at all. See, the focus isn't on the faith. The focus is on the object looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. And I will tell you, friend, you know, you want to, how do I say this? If you want your faith to be nurtured, if you want some supernatural things to strengthen your faith, you have to spend time with Jesus. <laughs> Obviously, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Obviously, that's where we find the Lord Jesus is in the Word of God. But understand, it is a gaze, it's looking to Jesus to enable us, to strengthen us, to author and finish our faith. That's the key to getting out of besetting sin, and that's the key to getting weights out of your life. It's looking to Jesus. Now, that, so we're talking about running this race with patience. So we're going to come back to that. But God's giving us a principle. He's giving us the big picture before we kind of narrow in, uh, kind of zone in to where we're going to be going. Look unto, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Here it is. Who for the joy that was set before him, here's the, the verbal form of patience, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endured, there it is again, the verbal form of patience, such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So it's, gonna, it's talking about Jesus for three verses here. And the thing I want you to see is Jesus endured. Because in a moment, he's going to command us to do it. In other words, what God is saying is, look at Jesus. See how he ran his race. Okay, I'm telling you to run the race with patience, but I'm going to give you an example. I want to show you that Jesus ran the race with patience. He endured. You, now, that word patience or the word endure comes from two Greek words. The first Greek word is the word hupo. It simply is a preposition. It means under. The second Greek word is the word meno. We find that in John 15, it's translated abide. Literally, the idea of, of uh, endure is abiding under. It has that if you study John 15, you realize the idea of abiding is resting, it's trusting, it's depending. So the idea of endurance is this it's trusting God under pressure, it's trusting God in the fire, it's trusting God in the frying pan. Now, James chapter 1 basically tells us that the only way you can learn to trust God in the frying pan is to be in the frying pan. Amen. Can I tell you, friends, I, I, in a certain sense, if we want to use the, the uh, context of Hebrews 12, it's trusting God in the woodshed. And the only way to trust God in the woodshed is to be in the woodshed. That's profound, isn't it? You see, friends, trusting God under means you're under something you don't want to be in. But instead of rebelling, you say, okay, God, I don't like this, but I'm going to choose to trust you under. Now, we all know the Lord Jesus didn't sin. But you understand what he went through. He endured the cross. He endured contradiction of sinners. He had people spit in his face. He had people, listen, the king of the universe who could have called 10,000 angels had people spit in his face and strike him and say, prophesy. They mocked him. They made fun of him. And I will tell you, friend, he endured what probably you and I will never have to endure. But obviously, he endured the cross. We will never understand that because he endured the world's sins being laid on him. I want to tell you, we don't even understand it all, but the Bible's using him as an example of endurance. Amen. Trusting God under something that's big. Now, he's going to use that as an illustration because in life, I want to tell you, God brings child training. I'm going to make a statement. This is one of those key statements. If you miss, you will miss the message, and that is this. I personally believe that everything God allows in your life is child training. Every flat tire... Every person who irritates you. Have you ever been irritated by somebody? <laughs> Everybody who provokes you. Every time you're wronged. Every time somebody knifes you in the back. Every time you feel like you weren't handled with care. Every time your spouse disappoints you. Every time, and the list could go on. Now, I want to ask you a question. When life throws you woodshed moments, child training moments, okay, if, if you're struggling with what we're talking about, when God's saying you need to learn something. Now, understand, whenever you and I go through difficulty that comes because other people made sinful choices, you have to understand something about God. God does not tempt people with evil. So when people sin and it ill affects our life, I want you to understand God has nothing to do with that. But God is so great and so big, he can take other people's sinful choices, weave them into our life to accomplish the will of God without having anything to do with their sinful choices. 
Someone has put it this way. I think it was Hannah Whitehall Smith that when somebody sins that ill affects your life, it has to go through God before it gets to you. And by the time it goes through God, it is already being worked together for good. So if I can tell you everything you've ever gone through in life was part of God's child training. Now, I'm sure every one of us in this room could remember things that, boy, that was rough. Well, that was tough. We did a whole week on wounds, if you will remember that, pre-COVID. Remember pre-COVID? That was like way back, okay, back when dinosaurs still were roaming the earth. But, uh, but uh, uh, so, so uh, we talked about wounds, and we talked about that these things happen. But here's what God's saying. Every one of those, I'm doing something. And there are only three reactions to trial training moments. Three reactions to a flat tire. Three reactions to an insult. Three reactions to a wrong. Three reactions to losing your job when you didn't deserve it. Three reactions to when you're passed over uh, for a promotion and that you should have, you deserve, you should have gotten. Three reactions when things go haywire. Three reactions when the gas prices double in a couple of months. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> three reactions, and there's only three. Now, Jesus is giving us the example, but notice, if you would please, in verse number five, and ye have forgotten, oh wow, the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Here it is. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. I don't want, I don't want you to miss this. This is key again to the message. There are two unbelieving responses. Now, I have found, depending on your upbringing, you either go out of one window or the next. I'm almost tempted, and I might do it tonight, to even have us raise our hand which one we default to. The first one is despising it. Oh, why did it have to happen? That person makes me so mad. My boss, man, he passed over me again, makes me so mad. I don't... That's my, that woman, why can't she, why can't she ever get it? I don't, that my husband of mine, I don't know where men, man, I don't, he doesn't get it. You know what I'm talking about? That's despising the child training moment. You ever done that? I know I have. You ever got stopped by a policeman? That guy didn't even smile at me when he gave the ticket to me. You know what my question you be with? Did you break the speed limit? Yeah. How much? 25 miles an hour. Well, okay. He may not have smiled at you, but you deserved it. <laughs> I will tell you, friends, very rarely I've ever gotten a ticket, and I have gotten tickets, I admit it, okay. But I will tell you, very rarely I've ever gotten a ticket, got out of the car and said, glory God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know, I'm pretty ticked off. You know what I'm talking about? I'm struggling about this thing. Saying, that cop, I mean, he's missing everybody else. I'm, what's the deal, man? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Don't they have better things to do? Have you ever thought things like that? You know? Oh, that's right. There's policemen in the room tonight. I shouldn't have said that. I forgot at Canaan Baptist Church, you got to be really nice about police things. Okay, okay, I got to, uh, there's two people you'll be really nice to in churches, policemen and the sound booth, okay? They can ruin you, that sound booth can. Okay, but, um, but you know, the point is, friends, there's tough things that happen in life. And you are going to, number one, unbelieving responses despise it. Why did that have to happen? Man, it's just, man, I. Number two, somebody said, well, I really don't struggle with that. What does the Bible say next? Faint. You know what I would call this? You get discouraged. Here's, here's the other one. Oh, man, I'm just such an idiot. I can't do anything right. 
man, I'm just, I'm just such a bum. Man, I, I, I deserve that. You faint under it. I will tell you, everybody in this room has a default. You either default toward despising or you default toward discouragement, fainting. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is everything that happens in life. Now, isn't this strange? Wouldn't you think after the chapter, uh, the chapter, the hall of faith, that God would deal with something else? But he doesn't. He goes right to the very core issue that kills our faith. And you know what that is? Child training. We don't like child training. We don't like difficult things. We don't like the woodshed. We don't like it when God's trying. And I will tell you, everything God allows in your life, absolutely everything, I believe, is a child training moment. And you will either have a negative, unbelieving response or a positive, believing response. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm almost tempted to. Because I've had some people say, you know, I really don't struggle despising it, but I, uh, I really struggle with, uh, I just get down on myself. I just, just take myself to cleaners, I get discouraged, I get down on myself. Now that's not my window, I'll be honest with you. My window is the despising window. Mine is not often the other one, feigning under it. But you can identify that because I don't know there's any other wrong windows to go out. Okay, so let's continue going here. He says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, there is a key word, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Okay, it introduces us to the third response. The first two are unbelief. The third one is belief, and that's endure. And enduring, you know what it is? Trusting God under. Trusting God under. You know, there's certain times I've gotten tickets and I've thought to myself, maybe God's trying to make a big impression on me so that the next time I won't do that and it will save my life. What again if God could just drop a big TV screen down after that ticket is given to you? And let's say you got, a, I remember one time I got a ticket for going over a solid white line. I didn't know you were not supposed to go over a solid white line. And I later thought, I wonder if that will one day in the future be a key in protecting me from something really bad. Now, if God could drop down a television set and say, here's what would have happened if you didn't get this ticket. And I realized, man, there was a really bad accident, big fiery crash, and I'm dying, you know, whatever. You know what I'd probably do is go out and hug the policeman. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> See, here's the point. We need to believe that God knows what he's doing. That's what endurance is. God is saying, you know what, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this, but I'm going to trust you under it. Here's what it is. If I knew all the facts, I'd be excited. Somebody has said it real well, that really the will of God is everything you and I would choose if we knew all the facts. I may have said that on Sunday night. Everything that you and I would choose if we knew all the facts, the truth is we don't. You know what endurance is? Trusting God under it, even though you can't figure it out. Even though you can't see it. Now, what God is saying is he, he allows child training in a moments into our life because he loves us. He scourges every son that he receives. Now, he's clearly dealing with, dealing with some believers who did not like the woodshed. So notice what he says here in verse number 8. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Now, let's just be honest. That's strong language. What God is saying is this, for all you Christians out there that say, hey, preacher, I don't like the woodshed. I don't like child training moments. You know what God is saying here? 
Well, if you don't like child training moments, the option would be if you didn't have any child training moments, you wouldn't be saved. <laughs> You'd be an illegitimate. You wouldn't be saved. It's like this, friends. My dad was a wonderful um, disciplinarian, and I'm grateful for it. But the next-door neighbor kids were worse than we are, and he didn't ever discipline them. You know why? Because they weren't his. Can I say this carefully? Jesus doesn't discipline the devil's kids. And I don't know about you, I'd rather be Jesus' kid and him dealing with me than not Jesus' kid and him not dealing with me. See, that's what, Hebrew, that's what Hebrews 12 is saying here, folks. It says if you weren't chasing, if you didn't have job training moments, you wouldn't be his because he's so crazy about you and he loves you so much, he's going to deal with you because he's got big things in store for you. Well, that kind of changes a dozen, friends. I'm going to be honest with you, friends. I'm going to just be dead honest with you. I do not default to faith in try, try, uh, child training moments, do you? I have to think it through. I have to, to renew my mind and say, you know, I, gotta, I can't go out that despised window. It's so tempting to do it. And I'll be honest with you. There's times I get into that despising moment and I, God has to deal with me. I realize, man, I, I, I'm not in faith. So what happens if you do endure? And, and by the way, endurance has the idea, don't, don't miss this, that it may take some time. <laughs> that it may be longer than you want it to be. That child training moment, like, you know, God, I'd really like to get rid of this. But God's saying, no, there's more for me, you to learn in this. Child training moments. Okay, now you say, okay, what's, what's the end goal? What's God after on this? Well, the next verses give us now, we're moving to the final part of the message, and what are the results of child training? If you do endure, if you trust God under, look at verse number 9. We're going to go 9, 10, 11. And there's one in each of those verses. Furthermore, we have had fathers, this is verse 9, fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and, could you hear me in the next word? And it is, and live. Number one, life. It's like this, friends, when we are child training, you know what God's trying to do? He's trying to teach, me, teach us, trust me, obey me. Instantly. Because what I want to do is I want you to live. You and I have read stories, I've read them particularly on the mission field, where a father had a great relationship with the child, and literally the child's willingness to obey the father saved the child's life. Like, I think one situation of a snake or something, and he said, freeze, don't move. And gave instructions, and the, 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 life, the life of the child was rescued. Why? Because he was in total submission to his father. See, God is saying, listen, if you'll submit to me, you will live. He's not just talking about physical life. He's talking about abundant life. You're going to live. You can, I'm telling you, friends, if somebody's lost and going to hell, they're alive, but the Bible says they're dead while they live. They're alive physically, but they have no idea about what real living is all about. There are people in this room right now walking with Jesus, and you know what real living's all about. Because Jesus is real living. There is no real living without him. But you'll never have that real living. Even if you're a believer, you don't have it if you're in rebellion. See, child training is this. You've got to submit. Child training is, is saying, obey me. Now, God wants us to obey him because he loves us. And he wants to life us. 
You know what happens when you rebel against God? You get death. There are people in this room who do not have abundant life. You're not walking with God. You do not know the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ because you are not submitting to him. You've probably heard the little story of the father who gave a little girl a plastic pearl ring. It was probably worth just pennies. She fell in love with that little ring after all daddy gave it to her. And, and one day when she was older, the dad said, Give me that ring, honey. And she struggled with giving it to her dad. Finally, she uncurled her hands. The dad took that little ring and he threw it in the fireplace to the consternation of the little girl. And they opened it up and there was a, a real pearl with real gold band. You see, we are clutching to that little, that little play pearl that is not worth anything. And God says, open your hand. Give it to me. You say, why does he want it? Because he wants to give you something far greater in return. Do you know what child training does? It teaches us how to obey and live. God's not just trying to boss us around. He wants us to live. I mean, really live. And I will tell you, friends, I see it with young people all the time. When they're jamming out on junk, they're not living. When they're watching pornography, they're not living. When they're messing around with their boyfriend or girlfriend, they're not living. They're dead. They're living in pleasure. They're dead while they live. Listen, I'm telling you, they're smoking their pot. They're dead. They're not living. They're getting drunk on the weekends. They're not. Listen, they're not living. Some of you that have been out drinking, you're not living. Well, I'm telling you, friends, when you start submitting to Almighty God and begin to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you start living. So God brings child training into your life. And you know what he's saying? Obey me. Open your hand. I got something better for you. So that is the first uh, object of child training, according to the Bible. The second one's in verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastens us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. In other words, everything God does, he's doing it for our profit. Now don't miss this. That we might be, here it is, partakers of his holiness. I'm going to be honest with you. One of my favorite passages to describe, describe the Christian life is verse 10. It's not partakers of my holiness. I'm going to tell you, how many of you out here, oh, okay, preacher, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. I want to just tell you something, friends. When you endeavor to live the Christian life in your own strength, God looks down at it, and it is filthy rags. And here's what the prophet Isaiah said. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Do you know what I used to thought that verse said? All of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In other words, I thought the, the old prophet was preaching, hey, you sinners out there, your righteousness is a bunch of filthy rags. He didn't say that. He said our. I want to ask you a question. When you get to heaven, is Isaiah going to be there? Yeah, he's not talking about righteousness before he got saved. He's talking about righteousness after he got saved. And I'm going to tell you, friend, when you and I endeavor to live, live the Christian life on our own strength, number one, you can't do it. And you've got to kind of put on a big show. But I'm telling you, friends, God looks down and he is not impressed. It is filthy rags. Everything you and I do in our own strength is absolutely inebriated with selfish motive. 
and it does not please God. It's right. It's just filthy rags. The Bible even says about lost people, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Anytime you see a lost people, many of you work with lost people, I'm telling you the best lost people, everything they do on the job, God looks down and sees it as sinful. Everything. You say, why? Because it is all motivated by selfishness. They can't be unselfish. That's what the Bible's telling us. But when you get saved, you know what? Some people, they still live that way. <laughs> they go about to establish their own righteousness, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Amen. That's the righteousness that counts. And you know what, you know what God does with the, with the woodshed? He brings child tra training into our hearts and life because he wants us to learn that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we need Jesus to enable us to do the miraculous. We need to learn to partake of his holiness. I will tell you, friends, every time you and I in total dependence on Jesus live the Christian life, it is literally his flesh, holiness being fleshed out through our dependent obedience. It's a miracle. And you know what Jesus does? He cleans up your motives. And the amazing thing about His holiness, it somehow becomes yours, and yet it's His, but it becomes yours. It's a miracle. I will tell you, friends, if you, if you, if you get discouraged in chastisement, if you chafe at chastisement, despise it, you will not learn to be partakers of His holiness. You learn to be partakers of His holiness is when He is absolutely dealing with you and letting difficult circumstances come into your life. You trust God under. You know what God does? He teaches you. You know what endurance is? It's faith. He teaches you to trust God under. And by trusting Him, you're depending on Him to enable you to do what you know you could never do unless He enabled you to do it. You say, preacher, I want to learn more about that. Get zero, 100. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, I'm not trying to sell a book, but it really, I could preach the sermon right now. Stop and preach the sermon because that's what partakers of His holiness is talking about. It's His holiness. You know how much of my holiness it is? None. You know how much of His holiness it is? 100. <laughs> See, that's the point. Now, I want to just tell you this. I'm going to just better get this. Partial dependence doesn't cut it. So here, I'm going to just put it this way. How much self-dependence? If there's someone in this room that's a seeking sinner, I mean, they know they're going to hell, they want Jesus to save them. How much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before he can't get saved? Just too much. How much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before he can't get saved? And the answer is, and the answer is, he can't have any. Yeah, if you're out here lost, you'll never get saved until you stop depending on yourself and totally trust Jesus to do it all. Isn't that good news? Amen. So how much self-dependence can a seeking saint have who's defeated, wants victory? How much self-dependence can a seeking saint have who really is sick of defeat, wants victory? How much self-dependence can they have before they won't have victory? They'll be defeated. How much? And the answer is, any amount. Self-dependence dooms you. To defeat. That's why Jesus child trains us. It's like this. Sometimes I'll go into a Christian school and I'm preaching all week long and you can see it in their eyes. I'm hitting, man, you guys are looking at junk. You, you, you haven't forgiven your parents. You hate your parents. God, I'm just going after it. And you can see it's like, back off, preacher. Man, we tried that last summer at camp. We couldn't keep the decision. And it's kind of like, hey, preacher, it didn't work. 
And you know what I do at the end of the week? I said it worked exactly like God said it did. I said, if your decision didn't last, it was because you trusted yourself in some measure. In fact, if your decision had lasted in self-dependence, the Bible wouldn't be true. But the fact that it didn't last proves the Bible. It doesn't disprove it. Without me, Jesus says you can do nothing. See? So partakers of his holiness. So second thing, he teaches us to tap into his holiness. Wow. Okay, let's go to the last one here. Verse 11. Now no chastening, I've heard this before, is for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Did you, you remember as a kid? Your dad said, now you're going to get a whooping. And you said, hallelujah, this is going to be a ball, right? I remember one time I was being babysat by this lady in Colorado. I had to be like three years old, maybe four. And she said she was going to give me a spank. And oh, fear gripped my heart. And I remember leaning over that chair and she had something. I mean, it felt like I was getting hit by a feather. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't very grievous. Okay, but if it was my mom or dad, it, now it wouldn't be in our house. Dad could put a, he, 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 you feared dad worse than mom. I, I've been to some homes, they say, oh, mom, my mom was worse than my dad. I'm thinking, well, wasn't that way in our house? Okay, now, still, I didn't want mom spankings, but dads were grievous, okay, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, um, now notice it says, nevertheless, and by the way, for those of you who are new tonight, when I think of my dad, I think of somebody who loves me unconditionally, so don't, get, don't miss the context. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth the joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. So the last one is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, I don't want you to miss this. If you are not righteous, you will not have peace. The Bible says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, of the wicked. I know something about you here tonight if you're not righteous. You're not at peace. If you're looking at filth on the internet, you're not at peace. You tell dirty jokes, you're not at peace. Mess around with a boyfriend, girlfriend, you're not at peace. Treat your parents like trash, you're not at peace. The only thing that brings you peace is righteousness. Righteousness. When you're walking right and Jesus is enabling you to live the Christian life, there's peace. Peace is a wonderful thing. Now, the Bible says the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Now, this brings us to another verb, and it closes out with this verb. It is the verb, believe it or not, we get the word gymnasium from. But the amazing part of the verb is it's passive. I've wrestled with that. How can it be passive? Because usually when I'm in the gym, and I don't go there very often, haven't been there in decades, but anyway, if I were to go to the gym, it's not passive, it's active. You know, you don't sit down in the weight machine and say, okay, happen. No, it doesn't happen. It's active. So I got to thinking. I said, how does this work? Well, then it hit me. When you and I trust God, he does miracles. <laughs> he teaches. In other words, we, get a, we exercise the muscles of faith. Our muscles of faith get stronger. <laughs> as we're trusting God and he is enabling us and we're seeing a miraculous righteousness and there's peace in our heart and there's life and it's just like, man, alive. It's like an exercise program that is painless because <laughs> it's supernatural. It's God. And I'll tell you, friends, when you and I trust God, that's the answer and that's what God does. Now tonight, of course, we've been through, this is the last night of the revival meetings. 
And there'll be two burdens as we conclude this message tonight. The first one is for those of you that have been on the journey here to really come to the recognize, okay, a life of faith is going to be, the, one of the key issues is, what do I do with child training? What I do with everything that comes into my life, do I despise it? Do I faint under it? Or do I trust God under? Because God is telling you, here's what a life of faith looks like. It's not always easy. It's not always uh, smooth sailing. Sometimes there's tough things that happen, and a lot of times there's tough things that happen. But that's how you grow. Trust me under. Trust me under. And I will bring you life. I will teach you how to obey. I will teach you how to be partakers of holiness. I will give you peace in your heart. I will exercise those muscles of faith so you'll grow spiritually. It's remarkable. But I'm going to just tell you right now, friends, when you and I go, that stinks, that rots, we're messed up. Or I'm nothing, I can't do anything right, we're messed up. Those are unbelieving responses. But for those in this room who may not know Jesus Christ, maybe not been on the journey, just come here uh, tonight or a couple of nights, I want to encourage you, 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 you are not going to go to God's woodshed until God, you first get saved. You've got to be one of his children. And tonight, the very first thing you've got to do is trust Jesus to do what you can't do. Wash your sins away, keep you out of hell, give you eternal life. And the moment you trust him to do everything, he'll do it. Amen. And then everything he does in your life will be motivated because he loves you. And he will train you and bring you to understand what real living is. He will understand what it means to partake of his holiness. He'll give you peace. We got a world looking for peace. And they're looking for it in the wrong places. You don't get peace by looking at dirty movies. You don't get peace by looking at movies that glorify some false religion. You don't get peace by doing that. You get peace by walking with Jesus. God's woodshed, friends. God's woodshed. Everything about our Christian life is a crisis of faith. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed?